In this episode, we're talking with Dr. Anna Rubenstein about rites of passage, why they're so important, how to create them, and when to know your children or yourself might be ready for one. Before we start, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and Gabi Gabi people, and also the Jinnabara up past Mulaney for us. We honour their songlines and storylines and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this episode today. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. Now, before we start, we wanted to let you know that we have finally just had a shop restock and we have some new items in the shop. My favourite new item is a children's hooded zip-up sand-free towel that comes in a range of wild and beautiful nature prints. They're made by, oh, sorry, they're designed, yeah, they're designed by an Aussie mum and you can check them out in our store at wildlingsforestschool.shop. But right now we're going to jump straight into our interview with Dr. Arne. Good afternoon and welcome to the show, Arne. Thank you so much for coming on today. How are you? I'm good. Really nice to be here. I like the opportunities to talk with interesting people about what we do, about find out what they do. So happy to be here. Fantastic. Let's do that check-in first. Um, some of you may not know that Arne's in the Northern Rivers, so how are you going post-flood recovery? Well, you know, the floods have been a big thing out here and while the mess has been cleaned up, so there's not furniture and, and bedding and stuff out on the nature strips around town anymore, uh, it's had a significant effect on the community. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of trauma being associated with it. Um, Personally, on my land, we have 150 acres where we run our camps and do our work. Um, where I live was not affected, but we certainly had a lot of impact to our camping area, to our roads, uh, to many other things, and we're only now just able to be getting to a lot of that stuff to clean it up. Mm. How can Let's get straight into it. Let's, I don't do much small talk. How can we help? You know, because, again, it's we had that initial drive. Everybody was... You know, we all fundraise, we all did all the things, but I know this, this is going to be an ongoing, this is a five to 10-year recovery, I'm, I'm assuming. What what do you still need? What can people do to help still? Look, I think on the sort of the more community level, there are, um, uh, you know, there are still people who need basic help. You know, my biggest concern has been with the single mothers who lost their rental accommodations and can't find anywhere new in this area. And we actually had a fundraiser uh, where we raised about $60,000 for single mums uh, in, in those situations. And um, so there are, there are some great causes around. Um, there are lots of people needing accommodation. You know, I think we're sort of past the days of just being able to drive down and help someone gurney the front of their house or things like that. Um, but I also know that these issues happened all the way up the coast. So I think people are helping in their local areas and finding out what, uh, you know, what fundraisers, working bees, uh, opportunities, ways to help people are happening and getting involved in that as a community is probably the most valuable thing people can do. 
Mm, yeah, definitely. We've got a huge amount of work still to do up north of us in Gympie that got really hit hard and didn't quite have the same media coverage. And yeah. They're a bit smaller. It wasn't. It was quite an isolated event there. So yes, hundred percent agree with that. That's um, recovery is still going. So let's kick in wherever we can. So let's get into how did you end up here? How did you end up in um, rites of passage? How did you end up creating a business from where you've come from? And people won't know that either. So going right back, tell us your journey. Sure. Uh, well, I, I started off as a doctor. And I was a general practitioner for a number of years, and then I became a an emergency medicine doctor. Um, and oof, you know, there, there were a couple of things that happened. I actually became a single father when I was 27, and I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old son, both in nappies. Uh, and that was a big turning point in my life because uh, that was the first time that I had to put someone else in front of me. Uh, and I couldn't just go to the gym or go for a surf or stay after work with mates and have a beer or whatever. I actually had to be there with my children. Uh, and around the same time, I went to a, um, uh, a men's retreat. Never been anything like that in my life. I mean, we're talking 1993. Um, and uh, I was fascinated that basically all the men seemed to be dealing with the same issues. And I identified five issues that were going on. And the first one was unresolved issues with their own fathers, not having been seen accepted by their own fathers. That was the first one. The second one was, you know, what am I, what am I doing with my life? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, and whatever I'm supposed to be doing, I know it's not what I'm doing now. So that was a big one for a lot of men. Uh, the third one was when am I actually going to feel like a man rather than a boy in a man's body? Oof. Uh, the fourth one was how, how am I supposed to be in a healthy relationship? You know, what does that even mean? And, and you know, mm. I haven't had any good examples or, or education on that. That was the fourth one. And the fifth one was uh, how do I be a good father if I'm a father? How do I be a good father? And all of those men had three, four or five of those issues, including me. And someone on that camp said, you know, imagine if there had been something for us when we were younger, when we were teenagers, our lives could have been completely different. Mm. Yeah. 100%. That was the first time, first time I ever heard rites of passage mentioned. And the men who were running the program decided to run a father and son, men and boys program. And they asked me to come along and help. So I did. And we took 27 men and boys out in the bush for three days and nights, um, rain the entire time, but that didn't happen. <laughs> and something profound happened. It was not just a good weekend. It was a profound weekend and, yeah, it changed something in my life and I was like, wow, this is extraordinary. And I became very interested in rites of passage and started researching rites of passage all over the world and discovered that every Indigenous and traditional society everywhere would have created rites of passage for their boys as they become young, young, become, became young men and then also for their girls as they became young women. And they all did it in the mm -hmm. same way. So the... The stages were the same, and eventually I discovered the elements were the same. And so taking those, uh, those stages and elements, we started putting together contemporary rites of passage. And we were running one program a year up in the area where I live, which I was organising, and I was like, wow, like this is changing lives. And I was becoming increasingly frustrated with medicine. Not, not being a doctor, that for me it's a privilege and it's a noble profession, but the system 
I found very difficult. I have similar feelings about education. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Being a teacher is a noble profession. Mm. Anyway, uh, long story short, I left my medical practice um, and uh, decided to set up rites of passage all around Australia and to train people and to find ways to spread the work and have been doing that ever since. In Originally we ran something called the Pathways Foundation and then um, uh, another organisation and now we are the Rites of Passage Institute. And I'm very happy to say that our work is now for boys and girls. It's in about 50 communities and schools around Australia and over 25, uh, over 25 countries globally. We've had more than 350,000 people come through the programs. Oh, the ripple effect of that. Can, uh, I'm sure you can imagine, not imagine, you see it. You see that ripple effect. Yeah, I do. I mean, the thing is, you know, the boys who first came through in 1994, that's nearly um, 30 years ago. So some of them are in their late 30s. And I still know some of them. In fact, our program manager, Karim, who runs our camps, came through as a boy when he was 13 and I was his facilitator. Wow. You know? <laughs> and now I have discussions with me and he'll say, Anna, what you did or the way you whatever, you can't do it that way. So he's starting to sort of, you know, teach me or however you want to express it, but, you know, generally what he says is correct. And, uh, you know, it's quite a thing. And, and, and that's the thing about rites of passage. They are a community event. They're not actually just for the boys or girls. They're actually for the whole community. And they say that rites of passage are regenerative. When you do them well, the whole community is regenerated by rites of passage. Mm. The other thing is rites of passage, it's not just, you know, a child becoming an adult. It's an adult becoming a grown-up. It's a grown-up becoming a parent, a parent becoming a grandparent, an, an adult becoming an elder. All of those, an elder becoming an ancestor, all of those are actually rites of passage. And, and traditionally they all would have been celebrated with a rite of passage to acknowledge and mark and facilitate that movement from one stage in life to the next. Yeah. What did that look like in our um, traditional, I'm going to say Western, because I know our First Nations had their own beautiful initiations and rites of passages as well. In the Western society, I, we've even moved away from them in the last 100 or so years. What did they traditionally look like? Uh, traditionally, they were things like apprenticeships and, and you know, I actually don't think we ever managed them well traditionally in the Western society. And I worked as an emergency medicine doctor for 15 years. And uh, one of the things I saw was what I call the over-representation of teenagers, the number of teenagers coming through the department. And, and after a while, I realised that they were actually trying to create their own rites of passage. They were trying yes. to initiate themselves. So boys in cars, on motorbikes, getting into fights, jumping off a balcony at a hotel or a pub or out of a tree or, you know, schoolies. all of those things. Schoolies, what a disaster. And girls, Ugh, what a disaster. You know, girls getting drunk and doing something they were going to regret for the rest of their lives with someone they'd never met before or, mm. you know, dancing all night and collapsing, you know, whatever. And, and, and when I looked at what they did in traditional rites of passage and how similar that was, to what our young people are doing, <laughs> I realise there's an innate need for these events, but there's a massive difference between whether it's facilitated and done in a conscious, appropriate way or whether we leave people to just 
try and work it out themselves or, or let life initiate them. Yeah. And we do see in lots of communities where they create their own rites of passage and when they're peer-led, you get gangs and you get what happens in boarding schools and universities. Hazing. It's all incredibly unhealthy, mm-hmm. whereas it's supposed to be the elders who are running the rites of passage for the young. And I have a theory I work with, which is that we're all on a staircase of life and we're all progressively moving up the staircase and each step represents a different stage of life. And the elders are supposed to be creating the, the movement for the young. But the important thing is that it's not just about the young move at one step and everybody else stays still. <laughs> when a child becomes a young adult, their parent also has to step up to the next stage in their lives. As when, a, when a, an adult becomes a, a parent, then the parents become grandparents and they do move. But what I often see is young people go through something, which is a, a rite of passage, and their parents don't know about it, not involved in it, don't treat them any differently. Then they push their kids back down into that childish behaviour again. Yes. So what's supposed to happen is not only is the child supposed to move up a step, the parent's supposed to move up a step, the whole community is supposed to be moving up. You know, the elders take on, you know, more different roles and, and, and everyone is actually involved when rites of passage are done properly. Mm. And that's why as often as possible when we run our programs, we don't just run them for young people. We run them for a young person and a parent or a mentor, if possible. And, and we always make sure that, you know, if we're running, for example, a father-son camp, the mother's involved as well. Mm-hmm. And she has a whole process. Or if we're running a mother-daughter program or whatever, you know, it's actually for the whole community. Mm, that's so important because it, it's, it acknowledges power, right? So if, you know, father and son are going through something or vice versa, but the, the father and mother aren't getting that information, then there's a link missing already from that community. So, Correct. yeah, that's something I had never really thought about my Husband's currently looking into doing one with our group of family, our little village, just starting with a camping trip. And I think that's fantastic and I love it. But I also think there needs to be that link somehow as well. So, yeah, exciting. Yeah. Why why do we need them? What is it like? What is the stats? What is it that we're missing when we miss a rite of passage? Oh, look, I mean, the stats everywhere are disastrous. Mm, If you look at what's happening with young people and, you know, Beyond Blue is telling us that, you know, something like one in four have a mental health, you know, issue in any given year and that mm-hmm. um, mental health issues are on the rise and, yeah, you know, all of these things, which is, you know, you can find those easily and, and that the situation is getting worse. So we have a big problem that's getting worse. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then on top of that we had COVID, which just exaggerated it. So COVID didn't create the problems but it's definitely exaggerated them. So if nothing else... You know, I mean, I look at the health of our young is a incredibly powerful indicator of the health of the community. It's like saying the health of the oceans is an indicator of the health of the global ecosystem. And if our oceans are polluted and the fish are disappearing and there's plastic everywhere and, you know, you worry about that. Yeah. I worry about that anyway. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and and with our, if our young have these incredibly high levels of of, uh, mental health issues and youth suicide where it's at and everything, surely that in itself is a big enough problem. 
Yeah. But another way of looking at what happens if we don't have a rite of passage is actually back to where I started working was with boys and men. And I got asked to write a model about the difference between a boy and a man. We wrote this model around boy behaviour, boy psychology versus healthy man behaviour, healthy man psychology. So Mm. how old are your children, sorry? Seven and ten. They're both boys? Yeah. Okay. So boy behaviour is what I imagine you would see some of this in your seven-year-old and in your ten-year-old as well, but definitely a seven-year-old, where it's I'm the centre of the universe. It's all about me. You know, they'll come home from school, they'll, they'll tell you everything they did in their day, but they'll never ask you what you did in your day. And, Still in that, definitely, yeah, absolutely. And they want, they want as much, they want all the power, they want everything for themselves, uh, mm-hmm. and they can't handle their emotions. If something goes mm-hmm. wrong, they have a temper tantrum. They can never be wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's always someone else's fault, uh, and they want a mother. Want a mother to do everything for them, cook their meals, run them around, clean their clothes, pick their underpants up off the floor, all of that stuff. They're unlucky in that department, but they try. <laughs> but anyway, you get the point. And, and, yeah. and, but they still want a mother and to kiss them and cuddle them and make everything okay. You know, that's, they, this is all normal. It's beautiful. A seven-year-old is like that. Mm-hmm. Now, if that seven-year-old never goes to write a passage and ends up a 40-year-old who still thinks he's the centre of the universe who still wants constant acknowledgement, who still can't handle his emotions and has a temper tantrum and things go wrong, <laughs> who can't be wrong and who wants a mother, that's a problem. Oh, uh, and don't we all know them? Don't we all know them? You don't. Yeah. Some of you may have even married them, mm, you know. Thankfully not, but yeah. And even worse, if that 40-year-old then gets elected and becomes the head of a major country uh, or the CEO of a big company and, and, and can push a button that can kill hundreds of people and is making decisions based not on what is best for the country but what's best for themselves, then you have a major problem. And I believe we, leave, we live in a world that is run by uninitiated men. Yeah, boys, little and, boys. Yeah, little boys. And we need a world that's run by powerful women mm. and good men. Yeah, agree. And so the model of healthy man behavior first of all is i'm not the center of the universe i'm part of a universe i'm part of a community and my actions affect others Mm. and if i have power that doesn't mean it's more for me that means i can do more good in my community and i have to be able to admit when i'm wrong i have to take responsibility for my actions i have to be able to stand with my emotions i'm allowed to be upset or angry but i'm not allowed to hit someone or swear at them or abuse them um, in any way, and I'm not after a mother, I'm after a healthy relationship. Mm. So that's very different. Sounds so simple. And, and then, there's mo- yeah, yeah. And then there's <laughs> a model about the difference between a girl and a healthy woman, mm. and, and you know, different but similar. You know, some of the things with a difference between a girl and a, and a woman is uh, for girls, a lot of their um, self worth comes from external acknowledgement. Oh, you're pretty, you're so yeah. this, you're so that, your, your hair, your face, your body, yes. your, you know, super important. Whereas mm. hopefully in healthy woman behaviour, it's more about internal acknowledgement than external. Mm. And, there's a, and there's a whole thing about how uh, in girl psychology, they either care 
only about themselves or only about others, whereas healthy woman psychology is about being out of balance, care for self and others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully a healthy woman is not looking for a, a hero prince but is actually looking for a healthy, <laughs> you know, relationship as well. Mm. So when we don't have those things, we end up with little boys running the place and, you know, all sorts of problems. Yeah. It's so, and you see it, we see it everywhere and we see it in every community, football clubs, netball clubs, you know, everywhere. So magazines, billboards, it's the norm. It is, and that's and it's toxic, and especially with social media now too, it's really hard to break that messaging for our children. You know, we're really really lucky to skip that generation. And, and yes, there's some beautiful parts of it, like all technology There's that comes with the good and the bad. So how do your offerings, and maybe tell us the types of offerings of rites of passages that you offer um, walk people through this and families through this or schools because I know you work with schools too. Yeah, we do. We work with more and more schools because schools are recognising that the education system has a major issue mm. and it's not just about the academic mark that you get at the end of year 12. In fact, um, the research shows that's not the most important predictor of a child's future success at all. Not at all. For some time. But then what is? And, and what they talk about, and there was a big thing done through the National University of Singapore, is they talk about 21st century life skills, mm-hmm. resilience, adaptability, emotional intelligence, having a growth mindset, um, curiosity, having a purpose and a vision. It's these things which are going to determine if someone's going to be successful moving forwards. And so we need to be teaching resilience and and, and all of these adaptability and emotional intelligence, you know, where are they on the curriculum? And how do you teach them from a textbook? Yeah, but they can be taught. Yes. You've just got to know you've got to do it. Mm. So that's why we work in, we actually have now a program in schools called Transformational Education, which is about saying that, you know, we get little children, babies into our school and our job is to progressively transform them into young adults who have a strong sense of self, uh, who have a passion and a purpose in life, who have critical 21st century life skills um, and who have been through healthy rites of passage rather than disastrous ones. Yeah, and that's what education should be about. You know, it's not the filling of the pail. It's the, the transformation of, of, a, of a mind and a heart. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's why we do a lot of more of our work in schools because that's where the kids are. And our process is to go into schools and, and support the schools to review their wellbeing programs and to train the schools so that they're delivering it themselves. We don't want to be an outsource uh, model because that's just not scalable and then the schools lose the training. So it's we would prefer to come in and assess what's going on and, 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 and create a continuum so that the, the, the students are on a continuum of wellbeing care over the entire time they're at their school and we're really thinking about how do we want these young people to leave the school as holistic people ready to be out in the world. So that's what we do in schools. You On that, do you have a list of the schools that you have worked with? Because I know for me that would be a deciding factor going into, particularly into high school that there was a program like that available for my team. Yeah, well, and this is interesting because McCrindle research recently showed that parents are now as interested in the wellbeing program of the school as they are in the academic results. About time. And how clear. <laughs> when did that happen? Because when I went to school, my parents didn't give two hoots about the wellbeing program. 
It was all about academic results. So, look, on our website, we do have a uh, we do have access to the schools. A lot of our work is in the private school mm. because you know they're the ones who currently can afford this stuff and have the resources. But we also get a lot of people from all sorts of schools coming to our leadership training where we train people in the rite of passage framework. We train a lot of teachers and educators and then they can, our, our thing is we want you to take this into your school or your community and create your own program in your own way, call it your own thing, but use the rite of passage framework because that's what creates the transformation. And that's that ripple effect again. Like you said, there's only one you, there's only one of your business it, and it needs to be within your micro community. You need to be able to access your own village to be yeah. able to do these things. Yeah. So. That's that's magic. And look, we do that all over the world. We, yeah, we just ran a leadership training up here. I have a, a venue here in Byron Bay where we run leadership trainings and we had 25 people from around Australia and a whole bunch of school teachers and all youth workers and uh, corporate people, you know, all sorts of people who will go home and do that. We do a few of those each year and I usually do one. I did one in Perth this year. I usually do one in Melbourne or Perth and one overseas. I've got a program in Belgium beginning of September, I think we've already got like 60, 70 people signed up for Amazing. It. It's extraordinary. That's so good. We'll do one in the Netherlands. Yeah. So that's that for me. The way to really scale this work is to educate people about it and to give them the training so they understand it can do it themselves. Yeah. But we also, here in Byron Bay, we have 150 acres where we run camps. So we have our Making of Men camp, which is for 14 to 17-year-old boys. Mm-hmm. And their father's mentor, so it might be a grandfather, an uncle, a family friend. So that's a five-day program, Making of Men, and they are extraordinary. Uh, we have a mother-daughter program, which is for, I think it's 10 to 13-year-old girls. Mm. We finally have to work with the girls younger because if you wait till they're 14, 15, they just won't come. Yep. <laughs> They don't want to come. They're not coming. <laughs> there is an argument that girls actually at that age need to be spending more time with aunties and, and other women, mm. and, and that's a whole thing. Uh, we have a mother-son program for 10 to 12-year-old boys and their mothers or a female and that's a really sort of beautiful preparation for the letting go. Yes. Which is a really big thing because if the mums don't let go, the boys will force themselves out of their grip yeah. And pull away. And that can unfortunately be really ugly and unpleasant. Mm. That's a whole nother podcast, you know, about, you know, that whole, because, you know, historically the letting go didn't happen naturally. You know, the mums held on to the boys as long as they could. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, the boys would be taken away. Yeah. And in some of the communities, the women would fight, the mums would fight with, you know, clubs and, and everything they could to stop their boys being taken away wow. because that represented, that represented the end of the time of that boy being a beautiful little boy who'd cuddle him, come into bed in the morning, you know, all of that stuff, it ends. Mm. It has to end. It does. You know? Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story there just quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a big cuddler. I used to get in bed with my mum in the morning for a cuddle and I remember going to school when I was 13 and thinking, I'll bet I'm the only boy at this whole school who gives his mum a cuddle oh. in the morning before school. Yeah. And then about 14 or whatever, I stopped and, you know, I sort of I pulled away and I, I didn't share with my mum for a long time after that, which was a shame because it was not done 
well and formally. It was just happened, and, and I reckon that would have hurt my mum. Mm. And then in the last 10 years of my mum's life, she passed two years ago, 89, mm. probably the last 10 years, I'd go and, when I'd go and stay at home, sometimes in the morning I'd come and I'd jump in bed with no. her. And I'd just lie there and have a chat. And it was a beautiful thing. You know, here I am, a 50, 55-year-old man in bed, you know, lying next to my mum, give her a cuddle. It was a beautiful thing. How beautiful is that? So it's kind of almost like it has to skip a generation. Yeah, and that full circle though, isn't it? Life is so cyclical. We're all going in cycles. Yeah. So beautiful. Anyway, that's a side story. But so we had the the mother-son program and then we had some junior programs. So we have a a young warriors program, which is uh, eight to 11-year-olds, and that can be boy or girl, Mm -hmm. mother or father. Nice. And we also have a a father-daughter program, Mm. which is seven to 11-year-old girls or eight to 11-year-old girls and their dads, which is one of my favourites because it's just such a beautiful program. And the girls, the little girls with their dads and, you know, all the dads have to put their mobile phones in a box so they're not allowed to be on their – all of our programs have to put their phones in a box. Um, and and it's really about getting the dads to think about their little girls and how they're going to maintain a good relationship with them when they're teenagers and how they can support them. And Because mm. there's lots of research out which shows that the, the better a dad's relationship is with her daughter, with his daughter – the better she's going to go through her teenage years and beyond. Mm. But also what's interesting is the better his relationship is with his daughter, the better it's going to be for him as well. Oh, I didn't know the flip side of that for the father. Yeah. Hey, what? Mm. If you have a, if you're an off-the-rails daughter or son, everybody suffers. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Nice <laughs> yeah, no, but it, that's, that's stressful for everybody, isn't it? Ugh, yeah. It's funny, I, I have such a soft spot for teenagers, but I'm also still I'm very aware how quickly it can turn. So it's that I'm yeah. trying my best to prepare, but I also know it's hard. You can't. You can't prepare for everything and it is just what it is and at some point, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. But then, anyway, they're our basics of our programs and we're always looking at developing new programs and we're actually going to start a, a mixed gender rite of passage uh, hopefully in the next six to 12 months because... You know, rights of passage have to change as the community does and we have to be addressing mixed gender, non-binary scenarios. It's funny, that was actually going to be one of my questions and it, it wasn't, it's definitely not meant as a loaded question. It was a, coming from a place of curiosity was whether you see the need for these, is it more important for them to be gendered or age-driven or milestone-based or none of the above or, or all of the above? Well, like you said, is it it's just experimentation? I think it's all of them. And we are we're bringing rites of passage back in to the community. Our aim is to make rites of passage mainstream again. And so we're actually having to create it in a rapidly changing world. Yeah. And so we have to be flexible. But, you know, we've been running our programs nearly 30 years now and we weren't talking about non-binary 30 years mm. ago. Um, but at its core... A rite of passage is about helping an individual find their spirit. Mm, who are you? Their gift, their talent, their genius. Yeah, who am I and how am I going to express in the world? Mm-hmm. Now, that transcends male, female, any gender. Exactly. It's a person. Mm-hmm. Who am I? So if I take that, our programs can be any combination that you want. I love that. And I, I think there'll be so many just hearing that for so many of our young people. 
it's all we, we're looking for. We're all just looking for belonging and acceptance for who we are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So for those parents that may be in financial situations or just time or, or distance for you that might not be able to access your offerings, what could they do from home to start these things? Sure, look, it, it, there's a couple of things. I mean, it always helps if you understand what you're trying to create. I, I wrote a book, for example, called The Making of Men. And that's about raising boys to be happy, healthy, and successful. Uh, the first half is more about parenting, and the second half is about rites of passage. And even though it's about boys, 90% of it is just as relevant to girls. Uh, we also have an online journey into rites of passage training program, which is six, six modules, which people can get off our website, the rites of passage institute.org. Um, I'm writing another book. Oof. Uh, it's like a slow process writing books. Big year. Yeah. And it, and it's basically rites of passage for dummies. It's not going to be called that, <laughs> but it's just really, I find that's a bit of an offensive name when I see things, but I go, oh, yeah, I need that book. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's just about really explaining the basics of how you can set something up. Mm. And there's also our leadership training that we do here in, in, in person. Uh, and And I guess failing that, yeah, it's just about really acknowledging that my child is becoming a young adult. How do I want to celebrate that mm. and acknowledge it and, and, and actually make a time? It might be an evening, it might be a weekend, it might be a week when we go away on a holiday. It's always great if we can bring in, fa- you know, extended family and, and um, friends. Mm. And then we talk about sharing stories is incredibly valuable, you know, helping the young person create a vision for who they want to be. And then really, really importantly is the final step is about honouring that young person. And there's many ways you can do an honouring, but a classic way that anyone can do is sitting the person, the young person on a chair or a rock or a tree, doesn't matter where, and then the people who are there have an opportunity to tell them what, they, what gifts they see they have, what they admire about them, what they're proud of, what they love about them. And just really acknowledging, I see you and I love you for who you are, all of you. If we could all have that, how powerful that is. It's life-changing, life-changing. Ugh, that's incredible. That's, and I love that you've got those entry points. I love that you've got, you know, people can access it overseas. I can love that, you know, there's the micro part. There's going to be that real beginner stage that you've really opened it up so that there's no excuses. There's no excuses not to be able to do this. Yeah. That's right. We have to. And look, we try and support people and communities. If if they want to get something going, you know, our aim is actually to spread the word, just get the work out there. So when we can support people, you know, I do have a slight time to issue because I get overwhelmed. Mm. But our big thing is, you know, how can we help people get things going everywhere? That's amazing. Thank you for being a lighthouse for our youth. It's so needed. We need more of it and we need more of you. And people just say one thing, it's not just for our youth, yes. you know, it's for all of us. You know, what, what I'm going through a rite of passage now. Mm. I'm 58 years old. I'm moving from, a, you know, a man stage in towards an elder stage. Mm. And we need good elders in our community. Isn't that the and truth? we end up with a lot of older people who are trying to pretend that they're younger. <laughs> And they still got it, you know. And, and, you know, I talk about this staircase of life. Well, everyone up the top is trying to force their way back down again. And, and that's a big shame. It's a huge shame because we need people up the top. Mm. 
they have a hugely important role with the young and in a whole different bunch of places. So, you know, I, I find a lot of people uh, are not, you know, they know there's something else they, they want to be doing, they're supposed to be doing, they're agitated around that, but they haven't found it and they don't know how to find it. Mm. And similar to teenagers who didn't grow up, you know, and, and say, you know, we, we get treated like children but expected to act like adults. Mm. And we need to put them out of their misery and, you know, actually create a process so they do grow up and then they get the privileges but also the responsibility of that. Mm. Um, so, you know, a big part of our work is trying to help to create rites of passage for people of all ages. Yeah, I love that. I'm finding our, our age group of fathers in our circle are really at that point where, you know, they're out of that really nitty-gritty period of childhood, you know, nappies and sleepless nights and they've got a bit more time to think now and they are, they're all starting, like, honestly, there's about six of them in our in our friendship circle all going, I'm not going to call it a midlife crisis because they're not in crisis point, but they are starting to ask those bigger questions of what next for me and the family and the community, which is how I know they're in man stage. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you know, how can I start giving back now that I've got this little bit of space, but also be here for my upcoming t- tween? So um, it's exciting, but you're right. We need those rites of passage for all those phases and stages. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I'll just say one other thing. It's not only the men. Oh, yes. The mums will be in a similar place of now that my child doesn't need me 24 hours yeah. a day, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, do I want to keep you know, working in the way I've been working or mothering in the way I've been mothering or other things in the way I've been doing them. So, you know, the, the kids are ready to grow up, the parents are ready to step up, but no one quite knows what to do. Yeah, that's how Wildlings came about. It was literally that. My kids don't need me as much anymore. They were younger then, but we're definitely in that phase of, well, they don't need me as much now. They're looking for dad now. What am I going to do? This feels purposeful. Let's go with it. But, yeah, I, I'm also feeling that I'm at that level again where it's like, right, what else can I give, um, yeah. which is exciting. It's nice to be at that phase. Of course it is. Exciting and often a bit scary. Yeah. It can be when you're not sure what it is, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things about any rite of passage is that it contains a challenge or an ordeal. Mm, yes. And so... To get to the next stage, you have to go through that challenge. Mm. And for younger people, the challenge is often a physical challenge. But as we get older, the challenges move away from being physical and they become more psychological and emotional and spiritual. Mm. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to move to this next stage, what do I need to let go of? Yeah, that's the shedding, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How do I need to see life differently? All of that. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff in this. Oh, so many podcasts, aren't there? <laughs> right, we'll do a series. All right. Got some time for some rapid-fire questions? Do it. All right. What's your favourite book of all time, or if that's too much like picking a favourite child, what are you currently reading that you're enjoying? Well, wow, I've read so many fabulous books. Oh, same, and no, it is, it's a oh, hard no, one, that one. Library of books. Uh, the Archetype of Initiation. Ooh. The Archetype of Initiation by Robert Moore is quite an extraordinary book. Um, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover uh, is also an extraordinary book. Um, A Fortunate Life by Mm. A.B. Facey is an extraordinary book. And I'm currently reading Soulcraft by Bill Plotkin. Mm. It's also a fascinating book and I'm working on one of the theories from it 
where he says, um, we all get wounded when we're young. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. And actually, you're possibly supposed to get wounded because it's out of your wound also that your gifts can grow. But what happens is we get wounded and then we create a compensatory behaviour, <laughs> which our gift can come from, but then that wounding goes away, but the compensatory behaviour continues on, even to the point it doesn't serve us. Um, so, for example, I'm incredibly busy, too busy, unhealthily busy. Mm-hmm. It's been work lately around, okay, what, what was the wound that caused me to compensate and become incredibly busy and achievement sort of driven? Mm-hmm. And embarrassingly, it came back to when I was a little boy and I wanted more attention and time and everyone was too busy and working and doing their stuff, not, you know, whatever. And so I became busy and, and just took on more and more and did more and more. And now, and that's allowed me to do a lot of things, but now I'm at a point where it is actually unhealthy, mm. like stressful. And so I actually need to go, all right, that reason why I did it does not exist anymore. I can let go of the need for busyness. So anyway, it's, he, he writes this stuff really, really well. Mm. Bill Plotkin. I'm going to look at that one. Sorry, Bill, what was the last name? Plotkin, P-L-O-T-K-I-N. I'm look that one up too. I can... All right. Where do you go? What do you do to reset after a rough, tough day? Exercise. Exercise is my medicine. Either a run or the gym or yoga or surfing, some exercise. Got to move it out, don't we? Got to move those feelings out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you had to choose just one thing to change about the education system, I know this is a loaded question, (laughs) but what would it be? Uh, Exams. And I would make exams that you can take your mobile phone into an exam and ring anybody you want during the exam and you can ask the person sitting next to you the answer um, because that's not cheating, it's actually collaboration. And that's what we and want in a exam, business, right? I want my teeth. Right. Exam is supposed to be a, uh, a test of a real-life situation rather than making the most artificial situation possible and judging whether you are able to go into that career based on your ability to deal with them inappropriate situation yeah and wouldn't that get rid of a lot of ego too about asking people for help because i feel like that's one of our the biggest banes of human existence is not asking for help when we need it i'd I'd make academics only 30 40 percent of the education system life skills at least 40 percent 50 percent you know all sorts of things (laughs) i like it and where can we find out more about your work uh well our website rightsofpassageinstitute.org, rights spelt R-I-T-E-S, rightsofpassageinstitute.org. Fantastic. Thank you so very much. I know how incredibly busy you are, especially this year after the floods, for making the time to be on here. And, again, thank you so much for being a lighthouse for our youth. We know we, know we need it. We need more of them and we need more men and leaders and, and elders. So thank you for being a lighthouse that our youth can turn to. My pleasure and thank you for having me. Ah, there were so many things I loved about our chat with Anna today. I loved hearing about the five most common issues that boys have in growing into men. First one being the unresolved issues with the father. Number two, not having vision or goals for their life or a purpose. Number three, wondering when they're going to feel like a man. Number four, not knowing what a healthy relationship looks and feels like. And number five, how to be a good father. I also really love how 
Um, we chatted about the fact that rites of passage are regenerative, not just for individuals and families, but for communities also, and that we need these rites of passage all throughout our own lives too. Like it's not just for children and teenagers. And I really love the reminder that when rites of passage are peer-led, which we so often see today here in Australia and across the Western world, that they can lead to, you know, the formation of gangs and hazing and bullying and all those dangerous behaviours like drink driving and things that we see our teenagers do. Um, After we finished the interview, I stayed on the line a little bit longer with Arne and we are talking about possibly bringing him up here to the Sunshine Coast to run an event. So keep an eye out on our socials and in your inbox and we'll let you know when we get that happening and what that's going to look like. But don't forget that you can do the same thing for your school or village too. You know, our eldest has just turned 10 and we want to start equipping him with a village of adults he knows he can turn to when he doesn't want to turn to us. So this has been really great timing in our lives but maybe it is for you too. You know, it's that that old adage of life does go so fast and being a parent, it just feels like it goes even faster. So don't put off finding or creating these rites of passages yourselves for your children because in the blink of an eye, you know, I'm having this, this whole moment at the moment, you know, the double digits is a big deal, I think, because we've got the same amount of time before my children may have left home. Uh, leave home and I just feel like there's so many things I want to pass on and I want them to know so much and learn so much from our village so you know it and I've got even less time before they start turning to their peers instead of us for this knowledge so let's get on to this before we have regrets about not doing it I guess because part of that rite of passage is teaching our children to listen to their bodies and make decisions about risky behaviors and it's never too young to start this And one of the ways that children can practice this is through playing with risk, whether that's play at heights or with natural elements like fire or water, could be rough and tumble play or play at speed, or even that social and emotional risk. Children have to, indeed they have biological urges to practice these things. You know, it's our job though as parents to help them learn this when they're very young and then to help them learn to make these decisions in time on their own before we hand them the keys to the car and before they head off to parties without us. So if you need a little help getting comfortable with letting your child play in risky ways, why not head to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables to go and get our free risky play and what to say instead of be careful printable so that you can let them learn how to trust their bodies and make healthy decisions themselves because we aren't always going to be there for them. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for joining us this week. I know interviews like this with people like Arnie make us all better parents and they help us heal our own inner child wounds and that the ripple effect of this will only benefit our children and our community and in turn the planet. So let's keep having these sometimes uncomfortable always deep very important conversations and until next week stay wild Um.